What is up, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out, coming to you from a very snowy, windy Metro Detroit, a Metro Detroit that is celebrating their former quarterback, Matt Stafford, making the Super Bowl. Uh, so we'll we'll talk about him a little bit today. The main plan for today, we're going to talk about the GOAT, Tom Brady and his retirement, give you some reactions to the championship games over the weekend, kind of what they mean for the teams and for the NFL going forward. And then next week, we'll be back on Wednesday or Thursday to do our big Super Bowl breakdown show. We'll go over the matchups. We'll go over who we think is going to win. So that'll be a fun one. Uh, so this one is a little bit of an NFL hodgepodge cast. Going to go over a couple things, news, uh, games, futures, all that stuff. So it's going to be fun. Let's go. All right, Matt is here. We are going to get into the GOAT retiring here in a little bit, the big news from the weekend. But before we get there, we got to do a fouled out RIP shout out to the Washington Fighting Georges. I gave Washington so many good ideas on this podcast for potential team names, and they ended up settling on the Commanders. Is it that hard to work in marketing? I feel like I could probably have done a way better job than that. No, all you've got to do is listen to the fans. Like one of their star players, before they decided what the name was going to be, graded the name Commanders an F. And you're like, yeah, that's what we want. I don't know what these sports teams are doing when they're rebranding or when they're branding the expansion teams, all the teams we've got from 2000 kind of suck. I sent you the list earlier. It's like Houston Texans, the Vegas golden Knights, the Charlotte Bobcats, the new Orleans Pelicans. Yep. The one good one since 2000 has been the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. The new hockey team. And it's because they listen, like they put out all these names on social media Mm-hmm. And the two names that got the best response were the Seattle Kraken and the Rain City Bitch Pigeons. And I think people wanted the latter, but they had to go with the former for obvious reasons. But that's the best one. And this is the thing is like everybody was like, ooh, Red Wolves or like Red Hawks or like something cool like that. Right. And they just the management there just seems like they're like, oh, we're, we're in Washington. So we have to do something like we got to be like the admirals or, or the commanders or like the it's got to be Washington-y. And everybody hates it. I think it's been a really bad reaction so far. I don't think anyone has any problem with the Wizards. They ain't got nothing to do with leadership. It's just a, a magic dude. Yeah, but that's the same thing with the Nationals when they moved from Montreal. Yeah. They're like, oh, we got to do something really yeah. Washington-y. Like, we're the capital. So they became the Nationals. I'm like, that's not a great name either. The Nats. Call them the Nats because they're annoying. Uh, so we're, I'm, I'm out on the uniforms, too. Like, the home and the away don't look bad. But yeah. that alternate all black with the W right in the middle of the forehead is one of the worst design choices I've ever seen. I read today that it looks like Wario from Mario Brothers. 
just the big W right in the middle of the forehead. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, it's all over Twitter. The helmet of the black uniform does not have logos on the side. It has one in the front and it's like a small W. It's awful. I feel like Dan Snyder was like trying to do the football version of like that shit you did in like kindergarten or first grade where you like put out on the forehead you ever like in nba 2k or like madden where you create a team and you got to make your own uniforms and you're like okay i'm gonna do something like cool and different i feel like that's what they did and they just messed up in the uniform creator and like they couldn't get the w to be the right size (laughs) then they put it out there it's like oh (laughs) shit this this looks awful guys we got to go back to uniform creator like they literally can't do anything because they couldn't even like keep their name under wraps like a helicopter flew by and saw washington commanders and everyone knew like a couple days before they released it even before that one of the someone leaked it i forget who it was but one of the former washington players leaked it on twitter and everybody's like oh god this is awful yeah I, i just don't understand like they probably paid a marketing firm hundreds of millions of dollars to come up with all that stuff Yep, and to get a reaction this bad, you gotta look at that and be like, "That why did we do that?" Seems stupid. Because Dan Snyder is completely and utterly incompetent. But at this point in his life, he has so much money that it doesn't matter. He's just able to keep making more money by having so much money. Fair. All they had to do was slap like some cool feathers on the shoulders and the helmet, do like an Oregon thing and name themselves the Red Hawks. And that would have been sweet. But here we are with the commies, the commies of Washington. Yeah. Awful. They did this to themselves. They did. Uh, but let's go to the news that overshadowed really everything this weekend. Uh, and that is the retirement of the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. Tom Brady calling it quits after 22 years, the hands down the most illustrious career of any quarterback and maybe any professional athlete that we've ever seen in North America, as far as accomplishments I've been. So I'm obviously I'm a lifelong Patriots fan. I have the Tom Brady Patriots jersey hanging next to my head. I don't know. Did you see my new edition? Can you see that on the. Uh, it's not like I'm getting more of a side view than anything. The Mac Jones Jersey, new addition to the podcast studio. I figured it was some action. Thanks to my dad. Uh, but the Tom Brady Jersey is front and center here and you can see it in the camera if you watch the video version of this podcast. But, uh, I thought a lot over the last couple of days about what I wanted to say about Tom Brady. And I don't want to go into all of the career stats and the accomplishments and the Pro Bowls and the whole thing. I think there's going to be a lot of Tom Brady content out there over the next couple of weeks. Uh, And there are people who will do the statistical breakdowns and stuff, you know, maybe better if as good, if not better than we will. There's plenty of stuff to listen to. But I wanted to just give the perspective of someone who's been a Patriots fan his entire life and really doesn't I don't even really know the NFL without Tom Brady in it you know I'm, I'm 31 years old I really started watching football in the early 2000s during the kind of ascent of Tom Brady and the Patriots I think that a lot of people outside of New England don't 
understand why Tom Brady was so important to Patriot fans. And I was trying to think about what the best way to put it into words is. And what I came up with is that during the peak of Tom Brady with the Patriots, I don't know if there's ever been another athlete who was more our guy. Like Tom Brady was our guy even before Deflategate. Like I had been having arguments about how great Tom Brady was since I was 14 years old. I've spent over half my life arguing that Tom Brady is the GOAT. And it, it like, it goes from, you know, really early Patriot fans. If you were a Patriot fan before Tom Brady took over, there was a debate between who should be the starting quarterback between Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe once Bledsoe came back. So that's like the early Brady defenders are like, we got to start this guy. This is our guy. And then it gets into, you know, he wins a couple of Super Bowls and all of a sudden it's who's better Brady or Manning. And you go a couple of years and then it's, oh, is Brady the goat? And then it becomes undeniable. He's the goat. And you know, and then there's deflate gate where they're trying to discredit him and call him a cheater and do all this stuff like new England fans and Tom Brady fans have just been fighting that battle for years and years and years of like, no, this is the greatest quarterback ever. He didn't cheat. He's our guy. You defend him. He's better than Peyton Manning. He's blah, 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 blah. It got to a point where almost every game, especially in the playoffs was really like life or death where you knew if you if the Patriots lost that all the Tom Brady haters were going to come out and use it to discredit him. And it it was just like, we have to win every game. It really started feeling like you had to win every game and you kind of lived and died with this team because of that. And I don't know that any other team and any other player has really gotten to the point where it was like, fuck the league, fuck every other team in this league, go Pats, go Tom Brady. Not only did you have players and fans of every other team basically hating on him, calling him a cheater, trying to tear him down. All the other owners in the league are trying to tear the Patriots down because of their continued success. And then during Deflategate, the league itself is trying to tear Tom Brady down. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, Matt, but the entire offseason before uh, Tom Brady's suspension, Tom Brady and Roger Goodell were in court like literally fighting each other in court over whether Tom Brady should be suspended or not because of this potentially maybe knowing something about possibly deflating a football thing. It got to the point for Patriot fans, like fair or not, you know, and maybe in other people's eyes, it's unjustified, but I think it got to the point for me where it was just like, everyone's against us. The league is against us. The other teams are against us. Everybody hates us. Uh, and we're just going to take that all and shove it up your ass and win another Super Bowl. So I have beef with every other NFL team because of Tom Brady, because something has happened in the last 20 years that's made me hate every other team. Uh, I have beef with the league. I despise Roger Goodell. And I also hate teams and players who played before I was born. Because in 2007, when the Patriots were undefeated going into the Super Bowl, the undefeated Dolphins team was like coming out and talking shit about how they would beat the Patriots. And I, I like hate Mercury Morris. I don't even know if most of the people who listen to this podcast know who Mercury Morris is, but he said that the Dolphins would kick the Patriots asses. And I'm like, okay, well he can get some too. Screw you, Mercury Morris. <laughs> you know? So it just, it became like a way of life for sports fans to defend Tom Brady and like be there for Tom Brady. And it was just like, this is our guy. We hate everybody else. And I think that's why he got so important to so many people. That was, 
that was your guys's like like Lions fans like the meme game. We pour all of our shit into memes. You poured everything into the defending Tom Brady. It, yeah, everything we had. It was just like we're defending Tom Brady, and we we just hated everyone. I still do. There's still so many teams out there where I'm like, oh. Like the Chargers. I'm like, oh, I hate the Chargers because back in 2008, LaDainian Tomlinson got mad because we danced on their logo during a playoff game. You know, it's just beef. It just doesn't go away. I think the thing that stands out most to me about Tom Brady that like separates him from any other athlete in the history of the game was that we have been talking about him potentially being the GOAT for the last 15 years that's longer than like 95 percent of nfl careers let's go over to the nba for a little bit like obviously people started talking about lebron potentially being the go very early and well i think it was dumb okay fine we'll we'll accept that but what I think separates Tom from any other athlete is that not only have we been talking about him potentially being the GOAT for 15 years, but he's definitively been the GOAT for it probably between eight to 10 years. Like the, the, the argument ended a long time ago and I can't think of another scenario like that the thing about tom that's so crazy and this is this kind of goes to your point is that he got into such rarefied air so fast yeah he won three super bowls in his first i think five years in the league you know he had three by 2004 and there are only four players in football history four quarterbacks in football history who have three or more super bowls right so for him to join that company that fast, that was like, that kind of kicked it off. It's like, Oh my God, this is golden boy. He, he had like, mm-hmm. I think 11 or 12 playoff wins before he even lost a game in the playoffs. He had three Super Bowl rings before he yeah. even lost a playoff game. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, you're right. It started early and it was just like for a long time, I think Tom Brady was like the wins guy. Cause you look at the stats early in his career and they're not, they weren't, they weren't crazy. Yeah. They're not on the level of like what Peyton Manning was doing at the time. Like they're not on the level of his contemporaries. No, early I mean, in I his career. Early in his career, you could argue he like, he probably wasn't like a top seven or eight, like fantasy quarterback. Yeah. Statist- statistically he wasn't at all, but then, you know, all of a sudden, so he has the three rings. Yeah. And there's always this argument about like, oh, well, who's better? The guy who wins all the time or the guy who puts up the stats and Peyton Manning. Mm-hmm. And then 2007 rolls around where Tom finally gets weapons that are equivalent or probably better at that point than Peyton's. Like Peyton had had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne and Dallas Clark and all these other guys. Yeah. Tom finally gets Randy Moss and Wes Walker and puts up the greatest quarterback season that we've ever seen. At the time, it was like insane. And we had never, it's still statistically the best offense in the NFL history. And so like all of a sudden it's like, oh, so he gets the weapons and all of a sudden he proves like, oh yeah, I could do that too. I can win and I can put up stats. Yeah. And like Randy Moss had just come from Raiders 
mm-hmm. and d- didn't really do a whole lot over there. So I, re- I feel like everyone kind of forgot how dominant he was. Once those two were on an NFL field together, it was like like a, a heat death for like every defense that happened like immediately. Bill Belichick got Randy Moss for a fourth round pick. Yeah. And Randy Moss's first season in New England, he caught an NFL record 22 touchdowns (laughs) for a fourth round pick. And you wonder why people come at the Patriots about cheating. (laughs) It was, it's absolute lunacy when you look back on it. And at the time it wasn't that big of a deal. They're just like, Oh, Bill Belichick trading for a washed up receiver. And it's like, Oh no, turns out this guy he wasn't washed up. He God, was actually no. better than everybody else. He was still better than everyone. Oh, and they signed Wes Welker basically off of Miami's practice squad. And he proceeded to have multiple, I think he had four 120 catch seasons while playing with Tom Brady. Insane. I mean, so Tom Brady, like he's going to retire with all of the records, passing yards, passing touchdowns, all that. I think that those records will fall eventually just because, yeah, yeah, you look at like the start of his career and then you look at the way the game is played now and you have Mm -hmm. quarterbacks like Mahomes who are coming in and throwing for 50 touchdowns their first season as a starter. Like it's, it's a different game now. The one thing that I don't think will ever fall. Well, two things that I don't think will ever fall with Tom Brady, the seven Super Bowls, and the what career wins. Yeah, that that one could be hard. It's it's possible. I think oh. I think what's more unlikely to happen is his playoff wins being broken. Yeah, I that's happens. That's kind of where I was going. Is that like the the passing statistics will probably be broken eventually. Mm-hmm. The winning no one will ever touch the winning. You know, in terms of Super Bowls, like I said, there are only four quarterbacks, including Tom Brady, who have three or more Super Bowls. There yeah. are only three quarterbacks that have four or more Super Bowls. And there's only one quarterback in the history of the NFL who has more than four Super Bowls. And that's Tom Brady. And he has seven. <laughs> seven. He's been to 10. Nobody else has even started more than four. And he's been to 10. It's absolute lunacy. And you, you just think like, we're going to talk about this a little bit in a little bit with the Chiefs. But you think about all the things that have to go right to even win one Super Bowl, to have that consistent, sustained winning in an era that, like the the NFL is set up right now for parity. You know, the worst teams get the best picks. There's salary cap rules. There's free agency rules. All stuff that guys like Montana didn't have to deal with. Montana just had Jerry Rice and no salary cap for his entire career almost. For him to not only do it, but do it in this era, this will never happen again. Ever. I can guarantee it right now on the podcast. No one will ever win seven Super Bowls again. Tyreek Hill told me that they were going to win seven straight. He promised. Uh, well, we're going to get to him in a sec, too. The last thing, <laughs> the one thing I did want to share about Tom Brady, my favorite Tom Brady story as a lifelong fan. It's not a Super Bowl it's not a playoff game. I like, obviously I enjoyed all that. I love that. I go back and rewatch some of that stuff sometimes, especially with him retiring. My favorite Tom Brady story was for my dad's birthday. One year I bought him 
tickets. I bought three tickets for uh, my parents and me to go see the Patriots play in Cleveland. And it just so happened that after I bought those tickets, all the deflate gate stuff was, you know, it was in court all summer. They went back and forth, back and forth. The Cleveland game ended up being Tom Brady's first game back from suspension. And I am not exaggerating when I say that the entire city of Cleveland was covered in Tom Brady Patriot jerseys. There were more Patriot fans at that game than Cleveland fans. It's like the most Patriot fans I've ever seen in my life outside of Boston. And just like to be a part of that uh, with my parents who are both huge Tom Brady fans and to like be with all those fans in the stands, just chanting Brady, 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 the whole game was so much fun. And of course he delivered, they beat the crap out of the Browns. It was like 33 to 14 and he threw a couple touchdown passes and he was, you know, waving to the crowd and screaming in people's faces. And like, he was, it was so exciting to have him back and just like the, I'll never forget going to that game. So here's why you don't get to talk about the NFL being against the Patriots. The NFL thought it was appropriate to suspend Tom Brady and then make the first game he comes back, he has to play the Cleveland Browns, who have been horrific for so long and thought they would have any sort of fighting chance to even be close to the spread. The fact, the fact they, that who, who they screwed over there was the Browns. <laughs> they really screwed over the actual NFL by suspending him and pissing him off and giving them a reason to go scorched earth on everybody. And they came back. That was the year they beat Atlanta in the Super Bowl. So, yeah. which of course is another good memory, uh, jumping up and down in my parents' living room like an absolute maniac after James White ran the Super Bowl winning touchdown in. We'll probably do, like when we get out of the NFL season and the NBA season and all that stuff and we have a little bit more dead time, I probably will go back and do like a Tom Brady retrospective. Maybe I'll like have my dad on. We'll talk about Tom Brady or something like that. You want to know how, how I experienced that comeback? I don't think you remember. Uh, I watched it the next day because I blacked out before halftime along with just about everyone else at my house. <laughs> to be fair, we had a keg of those winter white. So that'll do it to you. <laughs> yeah, just part of the Tom Brady thing is just like there was also a mystique about him where and this is like the same thing Jordan had. Nothing is impossible. Yeah. You know, even like, look at this here with the Rams game, the Rams were up like 27 to three and everybody, everybody's like, Oh, but Tom Brady's on the other side. (laughs) Like there's no other quarterback in the history of the NFL that you would be down 28 to three or 27 to three and be like, Oh man, but Dan Marino's over there, but it's Tom Brady. And it just, when you had Tom Brady fair or not, it just, you couldn't turn it off because you you knew Tom Brady was going to do something. Look at Dan Campbell. He took a team into a game against another team that had nine more wins than them at this point in time and what an upset. 
like if you put in the work and like the dedication and really have an attention to detail on everything, which is where Tom really separates himself is that attention to detail. You can make miracles happen. And I would say playing potentially your best football at how old is he now? 44. Forty. I was yeah, forty-four. Like they're like at least two points in his career where it looked like all right, like it's kind of like on the downturn. You know, the sun's setting, sun's getting real low, big guy. Uh, and then he's just like, nah, I'm gonna find a way. He's ends up better than he was before. Yeah, I mean, going out, leading the league in passing yards and passing touchdowns at 44, uh, he could play next year. Yeah. Obviously, oh, he's he's still playing at an extremely high level. He yeah. made the decision to walk away and kind of do, you know, spend time with his family. His body's still healthy. And to be honest, like, it sucks that we had to see him in a different uniform. But I am really happy that we're never going to see the really, like, bad Tom Brady season. Where he goes out there and you're like, oh man, this guy's lost it. Answer this for me, because it's there's an element of this for me with someone else. Is it there are a lot of things said about him when he was in New England? Like, well, of course he's great. He's playing with the best coach ever, the yada yada yada, all these excuses about like why he's been so successful. And then he leaves. And He's a top three quarterback in the league over the two years that he's not with Bill Belichick. There's got to be an element of that for you to be like, we were right all along. Like, he was that good. Yeah, Bill's great, but, like, that doesn't take away from him. Yeah, I mean, to win six Super Bowls and go to nine as a franchise over 20 years, it takes GOAT QB and GOAT coach, and that's kind of what I had always been saying and we're going we're to talk about this with your guy uh, a little bit later in the episode, but yeah, that's like, I had always been saying that he was the goat and I was like, he is the greatest quarterback of all time. Bill Belichick's the greatest coach of all time. That combination is what has led them to all this success. But there was so many people saying, like you said, Oh, he's not that great. He's a system quarterback. Or like, if he didn't have Belichick, he couldn't win and blah, 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 blah. And then he goes somewhere else. And like, granted, Tampa Bay is a very good situation. It was a very good situation last year. But he goes and then beats Aaron Rodgers on the road and then beats Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl. And it just, after that, you kind of look at it and you're like, okay, I mean, seven Super Bowls. He got one done without Belichick. He's 44 and still leading the league in passing yards like and passing touchdowns. I think he's proven everything that there is to prove for him. And I think that that's why he's comfortable retiring. It's just, I think he looks at his career and goes, that's it. Like I've proved I could play until 45 or 40, whatever I've proved, you know, I can win without Belichick. I proved that. I, I don't know what else there is left for him. He has more titles than Jordan, which I think honestly did kind of become a thing for him is that like, he would have really liked to get to seven. So that when you talk about him and Jordan, you're like, well, I got seven. Yeah. He has six. 
which, you know, not fair, completely different sports, but still. And also like Tom Brady didn't go play baseball for a few years. I know. I know. So I just don't think there's anything left for him. And I think like you made this point with Stafford last week talking about how at some point you're just like, I'm just going to get out of here with my body intact and go spend time with my family. And I think that that's what he wants to do. The last thing I wanted to say before I move on, no other quarterback has had his name chanted. Like nobody was ever chanting Peyton, 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 the way that Patriot fans continually would chant Brady's name. Like you think about the game I went to the, we had that really, really bad loss to Kansas city on Monday night where everybody was like, that's it. The franchise is dead, blah, blah, blah. And the, it was kind of the, the onto the Bengals game where the media had been saying Brady is done for the whole week. And then he comes out and absolutely torches the Bengals and the stadium's Brady, Brady. Nobody ever fought and argued that Montana was the goat with as much passion as we have argued that Tom Brady is the goat for 15 years. And I don't think that any other quarterback has fostered the world versus us mentality that Tom Brady fostered with Patriot fans. So uh, I'm really going to miss him being my quarterback. I, I have for two years, but I think I've been kind of trying to move on and be like, I don't miss him that much. And like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I will really miss, you know, the sports side of my life for the last 16, 17 years was defending this guy and, you know, yeah. all, all my friends make fun of me. They're like, oh yeah, Brady. That's like your, you love Brady so much. Uh, and I do. And I'm thankful for everything that he did for the organization, all the wins he gave us and all the great years he gave us. Uh, my dad, my dad likes to say that if your team won last night, that you wake up happy the next day. And if you wake up happy more often than not, then that's a good, that's a good day. Like that's a good team. Uh, and I will say that with Tom Brady, we woke up uh, happy way more often than not in New England. So, uh, Tom, I will miss you and I wish you the best of luck in retirement. I'm excited to see what his next chapter is. But let's go on to the next chapter of this podcast, because there were actually football games over the weekend. I don't know if anybody knows that <laughs> with the whole Tom Brady drama. Uh, so the first one on Sunday was. Kansas city versus Cincinnati, uh, Cincinnati ends up pulling it out 27 to 24. Matt, I feel like I watched the same game twice this season. Uh, because you did, <laughs> it was the same exact game. And, they were down 11, going to halftime and come back. That's why I put money on it. Matt bet the Bengals money line after picking the Kansas city chiefs on the podcast. So you really <laughs> kind of covered your bases there. Fuck. But I explained why I thought it could happen, and pretty much everything that I said kind of happened at one point or another. Maybe not the whole game, but eventually. It, it was pretty much the same game we saw, and it's just like the Kansas City fooled uh, a lot of us, including me, with that win over the Bills, where Kansas City had these very well-defined problems all season. They were up and down. We talked about it all season that like, these are their problems. It's the play calling. It's the Mahomes not dumping off and taking the short stuff, not taking the underneath stuff. He always wants to go for the right. deep shot. And it, we saw it in this game. Like 
the two ones that were the most blatant to me right before halftime, they're up 21 to 10 and they have the ball basically on the goal line. And with five seconds left and no timeouts, they decide they're going to run one more play. That play cannot be anything else except a shot to the end zone. You have to throw it to the end zone quickly. And they end up throwing that bubble screen to Tyreek who gets double teamed and brought down and they end up getting no points. And after it seemed like after that play, momentum was completely flipped and it was the Bengals game. They came out of halftime and, you know, Andy was, Andy Reed was questioned by the sideline reporter. And he said exactly that, but I think if you're Andy Reed, you also have to recognize the way your quarterback has played all year and his decision-making has been questionable for the vast majority of the season. I think in that scenario, you, you got to run that kick team out there. Don't run one more play. There is such thing as being too aggressive. And we've talked about yeah. this multiple times on the podcast, like with the Ravens losing multiple games because they went for two and uh, Staley, the chargers coach being like, Oh, for five on fourth down yeah. the last time they played the chiefs you're being too aggressive and like, just take the points. You make it 24 to 10 going into halftime instead of 21 to 10, you know, instead of coming away empty and now the Bengals are coming back with all the momentum and end up winning the game. And then like the other, you know, as I was saying that there are two points that really bugged me, it was that one. And then the other time was like, did you look at their play calling in overtime? Chiefs had a lot of success in the first half of the game because Mahomes was like checking down to running backs. They were throwing underneath to Kelsey. They were doing all that and then hitting the deep shots when they could. In the second half and in overtime, especially like overtime, they get the ball first. They win the coin toss and it's like, oh God, here we go again. They're going to win the coin toss. They're going to go down and score. And we're going to have to debate the overtime rules for another week. They get the ball and Mahomes throws like, downfield 15 plus yards downfield three times for three incompletions, like two incompletions and a pick. And after the interception, it's like, Oh, if Joe Burrow gets one first down here, it's over because McPherson is such a fantastic kicker. And it's like the play calling again, it's just like you, all the things you had success with in the first half you throw away and then you go to overtime and it's like, should we look at what didn't work in the second half? No, let's just keep doing the exact same thing. Is it the play call or is it Mahomes wanting to win this game in like one big shot, you know, but it, it just didn't work. Whatever they were doing didn't work. I don't want to like put it, I put it all on Kansas city because while they deserve all of the criticism that they're getting, I think we need to recognize that like Cincinnati also kind of stepped it up and just played better on defense in the second half as well, um, including big plays from both DJ Raider and BJ Hill, who got an interception. <laughs> I always love a big man interception. But they, they came up with some pretty big plays in the second half, uh, and we had kind of mentioned that those defensive tackles were going to have to step up in order for them to win this game. But all all that considered, like, you can't just fall back to this style of play that hurt you earlier this year. 
And like there was a point in time where they they were basically at the bottom of the AFC West. It's really easy to forget that now that they made it to the AFC Championship game. But they had their work cut out for them to even get into the playoffs at one point. I think they're yeah, I said this at the end of last season, and I'm saying it again. If they want to be a championship team, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid need to take a hard look in the mirror and answer some really difficult questions. And if they don't do that, they're just going to keep doing this crap over and over again. Because right now, honestly, they're kind of looking like they're on like that, like Aaron Rodgers, like playoff path where it's like, yeah, like you'll make the playoffs and then like you might win a game or two, but in the end, not so much. So I think that this is a good inflection point to look at how hard it is to actually win a Super Bowl and how hard it is to like build a dynasty like the Patriots built. And I, I bring them back up because like you mentioned earlier, after the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, they came out and Tyreek Hill's like, we're going to win seven of these guys. Like nobody can stop us. But, you know, so Mahomes, beco- Mahomes becomes the starter. They go to the AFC championship and lose to Tom Brady. And then the next year they come back and they win the Super Bowl. Then they lose the Super Bowl, and then they lose in the AFC Championship game. And now Mahomes' cap hit is going up $30 million next season. So, you know, it, and it takes, like, honestly, there was they were one play away in that 49er Super Bowl from losing that one, too. Yeah. And, like, we had this conversation earlier this week because of Tom Brady retiring. Is It's just, like, to win a Super Bowl, so many things have to go right for you there's health and there's like officiating and there's all sorts of stuff. And just to maintain greatness is so difficult. I looked it up today. No team since 1995 has won a Super Bowl with their quarterback taking up more than 12% of their salary cap. Mahomes number is going to jump to 17% of the salary cap next year. So if he wins a Super Bowl on his new contract, It'll be the first time ever that a quarterback's been getting paid that percentage of the salary cap and won a Super Bowl. Good examples to look at that we've seen with this exact same scenario in the last, you know, however many years. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, who you mentioned, also Russell Wilson. These guys win yep. a championship with a really good team early in their careers. Yeah. And then they get paid and they never make it back. Like Aaron Rodgers has not made it back to a Super Bowl since winning that Pittsburgh one. Russell Wilson early in his career wins one and then loses one to the Patriots. And we're probably never going to see him in a Super Bowl again, in my opinion. So continued success is just so difficult. Keep in mind for a long time, the narrative on Matt Stafford was can't win the playoffs. Now all of a sudden Stafford with a win in the Super Bowl would have a better playoff win percentage than Rodgers. And I get like different sample sizes, but once Rodgers got that cap hit, his win percentage of the playoff plummeted. And that's not as much a statement about him as it is that 
like this is a team game and it's really hard to win in the playoffs consistently when your quarterback is making 35 to 45 million a year or taking up that much in your cap hit. Um, I'm not sure what percentage of the Rams cap hit Stafford is actually taking up because I know the Lions had to eat like all the the signing bonus money. He's 11%, 23 million out of two. Yeah, 23 million out of 208. So he's like right on the upper bound of, you know, what I said is that, and there's been quarterbacks who took up like 11.6 or like Mm 11.8, but it's never touched 12 since 1995. Let's be real. He's only at 11 because they got him in a trade where the team that signed the contract had to eat the signing bonus. So his percentage there isn't really showing how much money he's really making there. Keep in mind, they're also paying the signing bonus for Jared Goff. Yeah. And the point is not really that like, you know, Oh, if you pay your quarterback a certain number, you can't win. It's just that when you're paying your quarterback that much, it makes it really harder to build out the rest of your roster. And although we haven't made it sound like it on this podcast so far, talking about Tom, it is ultimately a team game. And like, you are not going to win with a bad roster around you. And you've seen it like Russell Wilson's the best example. He was a rookie on the Legion of Boom Seahawks. One of the best defenses we've ever seen. And they have Sherman and Chancellor and Earl Thomas and Bobby Wagner and like all these guys, like the defense was so good and it's like loaded with studs. They win a Super Bowl and then they lose a Super Bowl and then they pay Russell Wilson and the team has just been slowly falling apart ever since. Like they can't re-sign guys. They had to let, you know, Earl Thomas go and then Richard Sherman's got to go. And then like the offensive line has all sorts of issues Cause they can't, you know, and it, it just goes on and yep. on. And it's like, same thing with the Packers, like Aaron Rodgers won with a really good team that had clay Matthews and Charles Woodson was on that team. Um, Jennings. Yep. Greg Jennings. Like, so anyway, he was surrounded by a ton of talent too. And then they win a super bowl and then they got to pay Rodgers, And all of a sudden it's like, that you can't keep the same amount of talent on the team. And like, not that the Seattle Seahawks and the green Bay Packers haven't been good regular season teams, but we've seen in the playoffs, like these guys have not gotten back to a super bowl since they got their big contracts. So one of the things that not many teams do well is finding talent from and for lack of a better phrase, in low places, which Bill has been very consistent at doing, despite the lack of wins, uh, the Lions actually did extremely well at that this year. Um, They're going to have multiple unrestricted free agents from this year stick with a roster, which rarely ever happens. But that's what you need if you're going to continue to be highly competitive year after year when you are also 
winning at a high level. Um, because you go off and win a Super Bowl, and typically what happens is any significant free agent you have that offseason, <laughs> their market value goes up and they're going out and they're getting that, you know, they're they're getting paid. And you either have to pay that money, which throws everything else off, or you let them walk and you have another huge hole. And it's kind of hard to fill those holes. Got to get that money, honey. Shout out Hillary Duff. I love Hillary Duff. Um, I was just waiting for you to yell phrasing. Yeah, that too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a line from a show that my wife and I watched together called Younger, starring Hillary Duff, uh, who I love. Yeah, it's just, it's so hard to have sustain, sustained success in the NFL. And one of the reasons the Patriots were able to do it is because Tom Brady never got over that 12% of the cap number for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. gives you a little money to play with. And then also, like you said, like yeah. Bill is so good at finding players on the margins who end up becoming huge contributors. Like I just, I just rewatched uh, the highlights from the Atlanta Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. You have like Chris Hogan and James White, like out here, Yeah, you know, Danny Amendola making all sorts of plays, like guys who became major contributors for the Patriots. So um, it's difficult. And I just, I don't want to start hearing this like Joe Burrow is the next Tom Brady and like the Cincinnati is going to be a dynasty, even if they do win the Super no, Bowl. No, because it is so difficult no. to sustain that. I, I can just see it. I can see Burrow. No. no, I'm not picking. Yeah, I know. I'm not picking Cincy to win the Super Bowl. Spoiler alert. But I could see like if they do, everybody's like, this is the next guy. This is the next dynasty. Like they got a young quarterback. They're going to win a bunch of Super Bowls. And a couple of years from now, Joe Burrow's getting paid and Cincinnati's, you know, kind of like a middling playoff team. And everybody's like, what happened? And it's like, we've seen it over and over and over again with star quarterbacks that you got to cash in while they're rookies because it gets very difficult to build around them when you start paying them later. There is not going to be another Tom Brady. Stop trying to make Tom Brady happen. Tom Brady is not going to happen, Gretchen Wieners. Joe Burrow is not the fetch. We've, this podcast has gone off the rails. We're quoting Younger and Mean Girls. Mean Girls is a perfect piece of art. Mean Girls is like probably, it's probably one of like the top 10 movies of all time. It's so good. It really is. Uh, we start a Mean Girls podcast. <laughs> Wait, is it going to be like Mean Mats or Matt Girls? <laughs> mean Mats. I don't know. I will not be producing that podcast. Let's no, jump to we... uh, let's jump to talking about another star quarterback, though. Uh, your boy Matt Stafford. The Rams beat the 49ers on Sunday, twenty-two seventeen. And I wanted to throw this out there for you because. You know, I was talking about how I spent most of my life fighting the Tom Brady war. Um, And I know that you feel a similar way about Matt Stafford. This is what I alluded to earlier. Yeah. And, you know, not necessarily that he was the goat, but just like that he was good at football. (laughs) It's like there were so many people. Yeah. There's just so many people, even like in Detroit. I can't tell you how many conversations I had with people or listened to on the radio of like, 
lifelong Detroit fans being like, this guy sucks. We got to get rid of him. No, he's, he's elite. Like he should be a slam dunk Hall of Fame talent. Like there shouldn't be any debate about it, but because of the attachment of wins to the quarterback position, he needed this season to really gain any traction there. And everything that I have been saying about him for years has been proven this year. Like he's spent one season outside of Detroit. His team won 12 games. He won a division. He retired Tom Brady. And now he's in the Super Bowl. It took one year. And, oh, by the way, he also was, like, top five in yards, touchdowns, pretty much every passing metric. He did – he was up there in interceptions. That was high. But, like we talked about earlier, as long as you're putting up points, those interceptions balance out. It don't really matter. Well, two things real quick. The first thing, I think that even with this season and how well he's played in the playoffs, he's not getting the respect he deserves still. No. I tweeted this the other day. Barstool, it was either Barstool or Gridiron, did a Super Bowl graphic. And on one side, there's Joe Burrow. And on the other side, there's Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah. And I was like, the disrespect to not put Matt Stafford on the fucking Super Bowl graphic. The marketing on this is so easy too. Nine v nine. It it writes itself. This is the same Seriously. thing. With the, same thing with the they, Commanders. They this, even play the same style. What the hell are you doing, NFL? It's the same thing with the Washington Commanders. Like, God, marketing cannot be that hard. We need to have a marketing professional on here to be like, really, how stressful is your job? Yeah, we we give them good ideas and they tell us that they want dumb ideas. Probably, that's actually probably true. I've seen Mad Men. Uh, Right. (laughs) So I was watching the game the other day and I get a text. Uh, Stafford threw a ball. One that he probably shouldn't have thrown that was tipped in the end zone for an interception. And uh, the text on my phone said, now there's the good old Matt Stafford that we all know and love. And I'm kind of like, I don't know what you're talking about. This guy is, are you ready for this? This is what I wanted to throw out to you. This is Matt Stafford's stat line for the playoffs. Uh, So obviously three and oh, he is 72 for a hundred, 72 completions and a hundred attempts. So he's 72% completion percentage, 905 yards, six touchdowns, one pick and two rushing touchdowns. So eight total touchdowns, one turnover while completing 72% of his passes. His previous playoff stats actually weren't bad either the he had a pretty good game against the saints uh wasn't super great against the cowboys and then i can't remember what his stats were against the seahawks but it wasn't like bad delivering on the promise though that yeah i think i, w- I want to say all detroit fans but at least some detroit fans knew that he was this good uh and yeah. i think like people just I don't know what he has to do. Like, is he going to be Super Bowl MVP? And all we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks is 
Odell Beckham Jr.'s rise to being a Super Bowl champion. <laughs> I don't understand what the guy has to do. He literally had the best quarterback rating all year in the fourth quarter. You would think, honestly, any other quarterback in the NFL, that would be a huge deal. It'd be talking about how clutch he is. But, you know, the man's literally set a record for most fourth quarter comebacks in a season and then has two fourth quarter comebacks in this playoff. And everyone's just like, eh. I think it's funny. It's like you point out like the season Matt Stafford had in Detroit where you're like, oh, yeah, he had, what was it, like seven fourth quarter comebacks or something like that? It was eight. You eight. want to know how many how many wins we had that season? Like nine. It was nine. Yeah. <laughs> this That should have been a one-win team. But you would point that out to people because I, I've had Matt Stafford arguments before. I've had a lot of arguments. They're not all just Tom Brady arguments. Uh, I've had Matt Stafford arguments before and you'd be like, well, yeah, but he, he literally set the record for most comeback wins in the fourth quarter. And people would be like, well, you know, that means that they were down. Yes. Like, yeah, they were down and he let them to come back and they won. That's the point. <laughs> he won also, games that most quarterbacks wouldn't win because most quarterbacks don't win when they're down in the fourth quarter. Right. And also like, they weren't actually down for like all game. And a lot of those games, sometimes it was just, he took the lead and then his defense was garbage and they gave up the lead again. And then he had to get the lead back in like 30 seconds. And he did it anyways, because he's unlike any other quarterback in the NFL. I feel like when you have sports debates, like especially on Reddit, People say things that they think are smart and I, I read it and I go that That's I don't, dumb. I don't, don't know what that means. <laughs> well, like, what does that even mean? Like, Oh yeah. In order to come back, he had to be down first. Like guy, congratulations. You read a dictionary. Like that's literally the definition. <laughs> and I get what they're trying to say is that like, he's not that good because they could, if he was that good, they would just be winning the whole game, but that's not how football works. Well, clearly Stafford wasn't playing good enough defense. I, I can't do it. Like, I can't do it anymore. I'm I'm deleting my Reddit account because like the people on our Kings have pissed me off for the last time. <laughs> can't do it with you guys. Just unsub from our Kings. I can't. It's like a sickness. So you're going down with the sickness. I am down with the sickness. Ugh. Yeah, I, so the other thing I wanted to say real quick, the game, the, th the thing that was like interesting to me about this game was that it was kind of like a battle of team building styles. The 49ers are more like draft and develop and, you know, they traded for Jimmy G at like a good price and they trade, they traded up for Trey Lance to like get a quarterback. Yeah. But like all their star players like Fred Warner and Nick Bosa, Ayuk and Debo and Kittle were all drafted there. And they kind of topped it off with a couple trades for Garoppolo and Trent Williams and some of these other guys yeah. on the other side in LA. I mean, it's not really that far apart because like Donald and cup were drafted there, but they've given away everything that they own 
all of their picks for uh, Ramsey and Von Miller and OBJ and Matt Stafford and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. Like, it was a lot of trading to build this team. So there, there's that, and that's all very true. But I also think that the reason they feel comfortable doing that is because of how much success Les Need has had as a GM in the third round beyond. He's he's been a really good drafter like after the second round. Yeah, and to that point, I'm pretty sure Cooper Cup was a later draft pick, wasn't he? And not a super late pick, but yeah, beyond the second round. Yeah. Third round pick, and now he's one of the best receivers in the league, if not the best. Yeah, and they were able to do stuff like uh there's so everyone thinks about scouting and they think of like dra- uh scouting college players and drafting them. Um but there's the other element of scouting guys in the NFL and evaluating who might not be maximizing their potential. And they acquired Robert Woods, who had not maximized his potential and since being with the Rams has been one of the best football players in the NFL. I know he's not thought of as like one of the best receivers, but he's a very, very good receiver and he does so much other than catching the ball that helps his team uh, a lot like Cooper cup in that way. Um, And, you know, it's a little, transactions like that that have kind of made them able to be able to not draft in the first round for like six years or whatever (laughs) yeah that's a good point and it kind of it goes to the point that i was trying to get at is that the nfl is a copycat league when teams see another team doing something that leads to success they try to copy that and i think when you look at the 49ers and you look at the rams that there are a lot of like good and bad lessons that we can learn from them. It's like, there's the right lesson to take away and the wrong lesson to take away. And like a good example of that, the 49ers, like everybody's going to be going out and looking for like the Debo type of receiver. And I think you're going to see like a lot of teams trying to line up wide receivers in the backfield and like do all this stuff. Getting your own Debo is the wrong lesson because there are no other Debo's. The right lesson is get your ball, get the ball in the hands of your best players in positions where they can be successful. Yeah. You know, so there's right and wrong lessons. Like we saw it with urban Meyer all season in Jacksonville is that he did not put his players in a position to be successful. Like his best guys like James Robinson were not put in positions to be successful And and they failed. And the irony is that he is one of the few players who I won't say that he is Debo because there's only Debo, but he has a guy who could do things very similar to Debo in a little discussional. Urban Meyer just needs to be wiped from the memory of coaching. Yeah, that it's bad. I mean, that's just an example. But um, and the last thing that I wanted to say about those guys, though, like the right and wrong lesson to take from the Rams. I feel like the wrong lesson to take away is like, oh, we should just trade all of our picks and get star players. That will make us good. 
That is the wrong lesson. Like, I think that if the Rams win the Super Bowl, we will see GMs be a little bit looser with the picks this offseason because they'll be like, well, look at yeah. the Rams. They traded away all their picks and they won a Super Bowl. We could do yeah. that. The right lesson from the Rams, in my opinion, is that you should never stop being aggressive and building your roster out and building yeah. depth and acquiring more talent. Like, I think it would have been really easy for them to rest on their laurels and be like, well, we made it to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. You know, that's pretty right. good. We came close. That's pretty good. We can make it back to a Super Bowl with Jared Goff. Like, no, they were very aggressive about going out, getting Matt Stafford. And then even in this season, I think they could have looked at it and been like, hey, we're really good. Matt's playing really well. You know, the defense is pretty good. We'll hold on to our picks. And instead of doing that, they go out and they get Von Miller and they get Odell Beckham Jr. And then Robert Woods tears his ACL. And all of a sudden, Odell Beckham Jr. is an extremely integral part of this offense, especially in the playoffs. And so I think that's the lesson. It's like, you just never stop being aggressive and building out your roster. It's never good enough. You can always add. One thing that from this off season that kind of got overlooked is they also traded away Michael Brockers, who has been a very good NFL player for a long time. Not super high profile, not super flashy, but certainly allowed guys like Aaron Donald to do what they do, but they only felt comfortable being able to do that because they were able to bring in someone like Ashawn Robinson in past years and feel comfortable with his ability to slide into several roles. So not everyone can do what the Rams have done with the success that they have. But if you are able to make sure that you have contingency plans and able to to draft consistently at those lower levels, yeah, why not get star players for your early picks? Like, could be anything. It could even be a star player. So what we've learned in this podcast is that the wrong lesson to take away is that the Cincinnati Bengals are going to be a dynasty. The right lesson to take away is that Matt Stafford is very good at football. But that is the only lesson that anyone needs to learn. I hope you all learned it this season. And if not, you will probably learn it in the Super Bowl. But for us, no, if you no, if you haven't learned at this point, you're not learning, period. <laughs> Take OBJ off the graphic, guys. That is it for us. As always, Fouled Out can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Overcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports, or you can hit Matt up on Twitter at Matador underscore defense. And you can find our videos on TikTok at Fouled Out Podcast. Uh, before we go, just one quick shout out to my mom, Robin, who we say goodbye to at the end of this podcast. Uh, yes. this, this podcast will be coming out on her birthday, which is tomorrow. Sweet. Yep. So happy birthday, happy mom. Birthday, Robin. <laughs> Love ah. you. Love you. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, we appreciate you. So Yes, you're amazing. Yep. We will be back. Next week with our big Super Bowl breakdown show, probably we might go back to our actual regular recording time. So this might be out on Wednesday next week, but we uh, keep keep an eye on our Twitter. We'll get it out there. All right, my friend, I want to say enjoy the games this weekend, but I don't know what we're going to do this weekend. There's there's nothing. Yeah, no. Um, I don't know. I guess I'll just pour some rum and stare at the ball. Enjoy staring into the abyss. Hopefully you do not stare so long that it stares back. Uh, I will see you later, my friend. Yep. Bye.
Hej. Hej, guys. Bye, mom.